Good morning. Very good to see you all. It's good to see some faces out there instead of these. Uh, there was a few weeks where I'd come out to speak and I'd just see pink flamingos and chairs and that was very, very, very stressful and very hard for me, but uh, I thank you for being here uh, this morning. And for those of you us, uh, joining us online, again, we appreciate uh, you being with us and we consider it uh, just a prudent thing for people when they're feeling comfortable to be here and when they're not feeling comfortable for them to watch online. Um, also, there are those that uh, just are a little prone to some kinds of illnesses, so we think it's wise for you to stay home, so we really do uh, respect that. So we're beginning this new series last week and into this week, uh, Joseph Living the Dream. And this is Joseph, the Joseph with the multicolored robe fame, not Mary and Joseph fame in the New Testament, Jesus' parents, but Older Testament. And so we're looking at his life, and we're seeing that he did have a dream. He literally, as we saw last week, God gave him a dream for his life. Now, the rest of his family really didn't appreciate that dream, but he did have it. And you and I sometimes say when things are going well and we're living without regrets, we say we're living the dream. And then other times um, we say we're living the dream kind of a sarcastic kind of a way because it really doesn't seem like we're living the dream. So this morning we're looking at living the dream with temptation. Uh, Joseph living the dream wasn't all fun and games. There were definitely some difficult seasons of life, long seasons of life. It wasn't just a bad month. It was a bad decade. And he would live these moments, and it was all moving him towards the dream that God had for him. And likewise, you and I, in a sense, when we've said yes to Christ and we're walking with him, God has a dream for us. And his dream for us, uh, sometimes it feels great, sometimes it doesn't feel good at all, but you and I can live the dream also. Now, we are talking about temptation, and uh, Johnny already mentioned that. This is a PG-13 message, which means we're going to be talking about some things that uh, are PG-rated. That doesn't mean we're going to go off the rails and get really graphic, but I want you to be aware of that, and especially those of you with uh, younger children, these are great conversations for you to have with your kids really before they hear it from their friends, uh, before they hear it at school, and even before they hear it uh, from church. They ought to hear these things uh, from you. In a sense, you take a, a lot of the um, energy and heat out of it, if you will, if you kind of preempt it by starting to talk at an age-appropriate time with them before everybody else uh, talks with it. Then you can just imagine your kids on the school uh, playground and somebody starts bringing this stuff up and your child says, oh yeah, I already know about that stuff. So the mystery's gone in a sense to a point. So uh, please, again, uh, take advantage of that. Uh, before we get started, let's uh, open our time in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just do thank you that uh, we can gather in person today. Uh, we thank you for the gift of that. Uh, many times uh, over the years of my life, I've taken it for granted, and these 12 weeks has really made me realize what a gift it is to have a church home, a place, that the church is more than a place, but having a place where we can gather. So we just uh, thank you for that gift. Uh, Lord, we also uh, think of our greater world and all that's going on between COVID-19, trying to figure out what is accurate, what doesn't seem to be accurate. It seems that uh, information changes sometimes within a day. And uh, Lord, help us to have a wisdom, help us have an awareness, but not a panic of what's going on. 
And then also our hearts were broken to see just another uh, terrible incident take place in Atlanta this Friday night and all that's going on with that. And Lord, we would ask that uh, the justice of protesting uh, racism and those kinds of things, that th that would be brought to the forefront. But we also would ask that uh, the, the, um, the rioting that seems to come out of some of that, that you would help minimize it. Help we as Christ followers to, to in a sense, lead the way in these areas and be understanding, uh, but uh, also uh, point to you. We also pray for our law enforcement officers, the, the good ones, which are the majority of them. And we just ask that you would just help them as they go into harm's way, as people are just energized by all this. We ask that you'd give a special protection to them. Father, it's going to be one heart at a time. So we ask that as we meet in a place like this, as people meet online with us, you would touch our hearts. And as our hearts change, as our hearts grow to you, we ask that that would have a rippling effect in the people we know, the communities we live in, so that you would change the course of all these things that are going on. And we know, again, it can't just be an external set of rules. It has to be a change of heart. So we ask that that would continue on with us, begin with us, and that you would help us with that. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to get started off with a guy named Jeff Burton. I think he's referred to as the mayor from NASCAR. We'll see what he has to say about what we're talking about this morning. What would you do for a Klondike bar? Hey, uh, Jeff Burton, would you drive this little car? Not a chance. I have a Klondike bar, rich, creamy ice cream dipped in chocolate. I, I am a professional race car driver. For that chocolatey coated ice cream loaded big and thick, no room for a stick. What would you do for a Klondike bar? Uh, Jeff, don't eat in the car, huh? It's a rental. I like that last line, don't eat in the car. Now, in a different season, we would have Klondike, car, uh, Klondike bars during coffee time, but I'm sorry we weren't able to do that. But, but, you know, people have anticipation to eating a Klondike bar, and some people will almost do whatever. In a sense, it's, it's tempting uh, you know, Jeff, I'm sure he got a little uh, money on the side for endorsing Klondike bars, but he has some incentives to actually do that. And in a sense, we can be tempted by certain things and whatever they are, and we want to um, kind of do something that even might be a little bit outside the norm or a little bit over the edge or whatever, uh, because it's, it's just enticing. And Klondike bars, as you know, some of you know, it just doesn't stop by sitting in a little car. There's also this. <laughs> That's my chicken. What would you do for a Klondike bar? Would you be a chicken for a Klondike bar? <laughs> yeah, how about you? <laughs> yeah, no cluck, no Klondike. <laughs> oh, nice chicken. Remember those hairdos back in the day? <laughs> what would you do for a Klondike bar? Anyway, I don't know. What would you do? But, you know, that desire for a Klondike bar, uh, you know, can get someone to, to ride in a little car who's a race car driver, can get people to act like chickens. But it also can have life change sometimes. The desire for a Klondike bar can change a man's heart. This is unbelievable. Pete Herman brought his glass into the kitchen. 
hand to put it in the dishwasher. Give that guy a Klondike bar. So the reality is there are things out there that can tempt us to do certain things. And it runs a whole spectrum. Runs something as simple as a Klondike bar getting us to do whatever. And uh, sometimes, you know, you're in situations where somebody, if you do this, would you do this? Uh, there are things that can entice us. And that's all fun and games and everything. But if you remember Edmund from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you'll remember that he actually is enticed by something to eat. He's enticed by Turkish delight, and it causes him not just to do something silly like uh, chicken or uh, something wise, like put your dish in the dishwasher or whatever. It actually causes him to actually put his family and actually put the kingdom of Narnia in danger. You may remember this clip. Edmund, I would very much like to meet the rest of your family. Why? They're nothing special. Oh, I'm sure they're not nearly as delightful as you are. But you'd love it there, Edmund. It has whole rooms simply stuffed with Turkish delight. You know the whole story, you'll see that Edmund really gets himself into trouble. And what's interesting about the story about Edmund is that he really betrays a lot for the taste of Turkish delight. And for those of us who are Christ falls, and even those for us who are not, there are moments where you and I are enticed, are tempted to trade a lot that's going to not only affect our own life, that's going to affect other lives. And this morning, we're going to see that Joseph is put in that place. Joseph is sold into slavery. He's 17 years old. He's sold by his, his brothers. They sell him, and he gets marched off to um, Egypt. And uh, he's there approximately about uh, 10 years before what we're going to see unfold before him. Again, he's been there all this time. Uh, 17 to 27, and he's put into some moments of temptation that are significant, that are huge, and yet somehow he's living his dream with temptation, and he's able to navigate that through that and come to the other side. He somehow is able to pick uh, these areas, adversity last week, temptation this week, uh, next week disappointment, uh, materialism, and a couple other things. He's able to take all these uh, things a part of his dream that are really nightmares, and he's able to, in a sense, see God's hand in them all. And this is an amazing story. And so let's uh, go there. Let's go to Genesis. I'm going to actually read it out of the message so you can just, uh, in a sense, listen on. In some ways, we ought to have a little campfire for this, you know, because it's like a little story. And so we'll just uh, settle in to, to read this story, and uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 39. So here we go. After Joseph had been taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelites... Potiphar, an Egyptian, one of the Pharaoh's officials, and the manager of his household, bought him from them. 
As it turned out, God was with Joseph and went, things went very well with him. He ended up living in the home of his Egyptian master. His master recognized that God was with him, saw that God was working for good in everything he did. He became very fond of Joseph and made, his personal, he made him his personal aid. He put him in charge of all his personal affairs, turning everything over to him. Just a side note question, a question I have to ask myself. Does those around me see that God is with me? Does God see in our behavior, the way we navigate in this world, that God is with us? Does it even come up on the radar? And especially in times like this, with so much going on in our, in our country, in our culture, do people really recognize that God is a part of our lives? And, and that's not to make you feel guilty. It's to go, hey, how do I navigate in the world that I live in? So people see that God is a part of my life, not in a self-righteous way, but in a way that says, hey, that person is responding to all of this a little differently than I would naturally respond. I wonder what that's all about. We read on. From that moment on, God blessed the home of the Egyptian, all because of Joseph. The blessing of God spread over everything he owned at home, in the fields, and all Potiphar had to concern himself was eating three meals a day. Oh, boy, it sounds like Potiphar's living the dream, huh? He just has to think about what's for dinner today. He probably is not even making dinner. It's being served to him. And Joseph is taking care of everything. This guy who was uh, sold into slavery at 17 years old is now living in the master's house. That is a big deal. And he's there, and things are going great. We don't know how long it took him, but it's 10 years later, so a few years for him to really shine and point to God in his life and put his hand to things, and it starts to bless things, and, and Potiphar is just trusting him so much. Also, Jason, I mean, just Jason, Joseph was strikingly handsome. As time went on, his master's wife became infatuated with Joseph and one day said, sleep with me. He wouldn't do it. He said to his master's wife, look, with me here, my master doesn't give a second thought to anything that goes on here. He's put me in charge of everything he owns. He treats me as an equal. The only thing he hasn't turned over to me is you. You're his wife. And after all, how could I violate his trust and sin against God? She pestered him day after day after day, but he stood his ground. He refused to go to bed with her. 27-ish. Has normal 27-year-old drives. His family is kind of in the rearview mirror. Doesn't probably ever expect to see them again. All those things that his mom and dad taught in the family unit. Hey, this is a new world. Egypt. Anything goes. Hey, uh, you know, why not? No one's going to know what's it going to hurt. But he, he wouldn't violate his trust. He, he's not going to give in to this temptation. In our day in society, someone who uh, hasn't been intimate with somebody else who's 27 years old is kind of a novelty. Kind of a novelty. 
was more of a novelty in Joseph's day. And yet Joseph has a resolve, has a strength that's unbelievable. I'm sure Potiphar's wife was pretty nice looking. Let's be honest. Uh, she, he, would have, he would have married someone, Potiphar, that just was a wow, wow, wow person because he was in the upper echelon. That's the way it worked. So, so all the pressure that Joseph was under, yet, yet he, he refuses to go to bed with her. On one of the days, he came to the house to do his work, and none of the household servants happened to be there. She grabbed him by his cloak, saying, sleep with me. He left the cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she realized that he had left the cloak in her hand and ran outside, she called to her household servants, look, this Hebrew shows up, and before you know it, he's trying to seduce me. He tried to make love to me, but I yelled out as loud as I could. With all my yelling and screaming, he left his coat beside me here and ran outside the house. Joseph doesn't get any breaks. He's doing the right thing. And for those of us familiar with the story, he's going to move into the next chapter. And, and it's, it's, it, it seems to not have mattered. She kept his coat right there until his master came home. She told him the same story, she said. The Hebrew slave, the one you brought to us, came after me and tried to use me for his plaything. When I yelled and screamed, he left his coat with me and ran outside. When his master heard his wife's story telling him, these are the things your slave did to me, he was furious. Furious. We'll talk about that word in a second as we move on to the next section. Joseph's master took him and threw him into the jail where the king's prisoners were locked up. But there in jail, God was still with Joseph. He reached out in kindness to him. He put him on good terms with the head of the head jailer. The head jailer didn't the head jailer put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. He ended up managing the whole operation. The head jailer gave Joseph free reign, never even checked on him, because God was with him. Wherever he whatever he did, God made sure it worked out for the best. Love that line, for God was with him. The reality is, if you've said yes to Christ, God is with you. The question is whether you're with him. And in this situation, we can see Joseph is with him, and God is with him. That, that little uh, comment about uh, Potiphar being furious, there's a lot of thoughts on what does that mean. Was Potiphar furious with Joseph? Or was Potiphar furious with his wife? And there's almost equal thought that it could have been he was furious with his wife because he knew his wife was making up this story. Because they knew the integrity of Joseph. But because he was backed into a corner, he had to go with his wife because the shame of that was worse than the other shame. And Potiphar would have had the power to have had Joseph killed. So why wouldn't Potiphar, if he really believed the story, have had Joseph executed? We, we, really, we really don't know. So it could go either way. So again, uh, it, it's interesting. Joseph doesn't get any breaks. He literally could say, just living the dream with lots of sarcasm. 
Now he's in prison. And once again, it becomes obvious to those around him that this person has integrity, that God is with him. And it's so obvious that people trust him and start to give over the management of whatever they're over and lay it into his hands. Again, I, I, you know, wouldn't it be interesting? No, it probably wouldn't be. But if we could even go, go back in all of our job histories and see if we created such an atmosphere that whoever was, we were answering to, whoever was our supervisor, if they had this feeling that God was with us and so that they could give us more responsibility because they trusted the quality of our work. Would they, would they say if they were doing a reference for Dave Spencer, oh yeah, God was with him. Or would they say it some other way, reflecting the fact that God showed up in the quality of the way I worked. Same way the way I live. Do, do the neighbors know, oh, God is with them? Maybe they think I'm a religious person. That's not what we're going after here. But do, do they actually say, do the people in school, do uh, your, you know, those who are in school with those in your class, do they, they go, there's something different about that person. I, I, they might not say it, God is with them, but, but it, it kind of like drips out of the way you walk through life. It's your operating system. And the benefit of that isn't just so God's name is lifted up. The benefit of that is that you can actually point to God. It's not so that you and I look like goody two-shoes oh, that person's a godly person. That's not where we're going after. We're going after others actually saying, God is with that person. I would like to have God with me. And that is what we're going after. And obviously, Joseph was nailing it, even in the most horrendous, difficult times. One of the things we have to realize when we're thinking about all this is that when there's a great triumph, there can be a difficult temptation. You you look at what happened in Joseph's life. He was doing a great job, and all of a sudden, uh, a triumph. uh, He has this triumph. He's the number two guy, all of this. And then all of a sudden, the temptation comes across uh, his life. And we can find ourselves in that when, when, in a sense, our guard is let down. Sometimes it's because we've worked so hard and accomplished something that all of a sudden we realize we're exhausted. And uh, we're just exhausted, so, so it's, we're more vulnerable to that. I'm sure Joseph didn't sit still. I'm imagining that when Joseph's head hit the pillow every night, he was exhausted because he was giving 110%. So real easy in a moment of tiredness, guards down, to give into whatever that temptation may be. And I I do want to say this at the head start right now. You you know, there there are all kinds of temptations. This story is really about sexual temptations. But there's all kinds of different levels of it or, or different ways it comes into our lives with different cause and effect. So it just doesn't go to, uh, you know, something like this one. It goes to, to all those temptations, being honest at work, uh, be, being kind, being self-centered. Uh, it, just because you're a Christ follower doesn't mean that that goes away. You and I are always, or at least I am, I don't know about you, but I'm always uh, aware and, and fighting to some degree a level of self-centeredness. And I have to always keep a watch over that, and it can creep in, at any time. 
So you're tired, you're exhausted, and, and all of a sudden uh, that self-centeredness or that whatever creeps in. Also, uh, you, your relationships have suffered. You know, you, you've um, given it your all. Maybe you've just finished up school and you really invested in it, whatever that is, and you've put your relationships on hold. And all of a sudden, now there's some temptations there. Th- that can happen. All of a sudden, uh, the people that are supposed to be closest to your life aren't really closer to your life. Maybe it's uh, the person at work. You got the big project done. Maybe it's the person you're in a work study with. And, uh, you, you know, all those kinds of things. Our relationships suffer uh, when we've had a big tri- triumph. Sometimes it's just because we get bored. We, we, we get over that hurdle, we make it, and it's, there's like a wow moment, and all of a sudden it didn't really bring or deliver all the joy, all the satisfaction that you thought of, so you're just bored. I've actually uh, you know, had some uh, um, acquaintances, friends uh, get into trouble in the same area that Joseph was in, and it was really because they had gotten to a certain age, you might call it a midlife crisis, and they were just bored. They had you know, checked off all the boxes of success, and now they were bored, and because they were bored, you know, it was easy for them to get involved and say yes to a temptation. And then this can affect us all. Sometimes we think we've arrived. We think we've got life figured out. Uh, think we've gotten to a safe place where things aren't going to bother us and, and we let the awareness go, we let the protection go, we let the, we let the boundaries go because, you know, we're, we're stronger than that, we're better than that. So then we put ourselves in compromising situations. And then when push comes to shove, all of a sudden we find ourselves, uh, ourselves caving. Now there's two reasons why Joseph uh, doesn't give in to temptation. Uh, the first one is this, is, you know, he, he realized that it would violate his trust and sin against God. And uh, the idea of this is this horizontal relationships with people. There's, there's the relationship with his master. Um, there's the relationship with his master's wife. There's his relationship with all the other servants. How does it go if Joseph for the last 10 years is always going God first, God first, God's every thought, everything I work through has God as a part of it, and then all of a sudden, 10 years later, he slips up here. He has in mind horizontal relationships, especially the one with his boss. Yes, he's worked hard, but his boss has been awful good to him. Sometimes you and I can do that place too. Yeah, we, we see how hard we've worked. And we forget that somebody also has been good to us. It's a, it's a two-way street. Yes, we've given it our all, but we don't carry that with a chip on our shoulder. Joseph wasn't like, well, you know, everything I touch turns to gold, so he owes me. He's not even thinking that way. It shows there's great things going on in this 27-year-old heart. So how does that apply to what we're talking about? In Hebrews, we read this, honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. So when we think about all this, we go, well, what does that, is that just God? You just said it's horizontal. Um, well, there, there is a place where our behavior in this area has a ripple effect. Has a ripple effect with future relationships, uh, has a ripple effect with the other person's relationship. Uh, it dawned on me uh, after I started having daughters that, uh, you, you know, um, I didn't want some guy taking something from my daughters 
and, and not having that for her husband. That, that was like robbery. And, and so I, I didn't want that. that that's, that's for her husband, vice versa. There's a ripple effect. I read some statistics, and when it comes to math, I'm terrible, so bear with me. Someone's going to come up, well, that really doesn't add up to that. I'm going, I'm sorry. You get the point. So I was told that if, 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 if you had a new partner for 12 years every year, and they had the same thing, that when you get to the end of that cycle, year number 12, you're actually sharing your body with 4,950-something people. Because, this, because if they're doing the same thing, it's amazing how that goes out. So again, horizontal relationships. Not just the ones you have, but your future ones. I, I, wouldn't, want, I wouldn't want someone that I had dated to have hang-ups because of their relationship with me when they were 20, when they were 16 or whatever. I don't, I don't, I, I don't want that to have, would, would want that to have happened. So there's this idea of horizontal relationships. Uh, this, this kind of fits in with this, and uh, this isn't in your message guide, but uh, purity is more than morality. It's future family security. Let that think in. Purity is more than morality. It's future family security. I don't need to tease that out too much. If you think about that, you'll know what that means. Your morality sets things in motion for the future, not just in your life and other people's lives. And uh, the uh, better you're at this, the more secure your future relationships will be in your family. That in this doesn't involve per people. It also involves uh, pornography and all those kinds of things. They all imprint on our hearts. And we literally give a little piece of ourselves away with every act of intimacy, whatever that, that looks like. And uh, we, we want to we avoid that, and that will affect the future of our family. Uh, often when I, I do premarital counseling, and uh, this subject comes up, and maybe a couple's lived together, uh, maybe there's been some other activity, I said, someday you need to, at the right age appropriate, and I can't just whip a number off out of my head, you need to come clean with your kids. Because someday your kids will figure this out. And then they will allow behavior into their life because they'll say, you know, mom and dad did this and did that. So since mom and dad did that, and look at them now, they're okay, I guess I can do that. And you need to head that off at the pass. You need to say sometime when the kid's the right age, you know, mom and dad, we didn't do it right. That doesn't, and we're, we're a, a sample of the grace of God. Because I've had a number of couples that, you know, went down this road, and then they never say anything to their kids, and their kids go off and start doing things that they're not happy about, and they never came clean. And those kids actually somehow, whether it was Aunt Harry or Uncle Harry or whoever, somebody told them, and now they know. And so, so this, you know, so anyway, let's keep moving. Uh, my vertical relationship with God, of course. Joseph realizes that it's just not horizontal relationships, it's his vertical relationship with God. 
No one who is tempted should ever be confused and say that God is testing him or tempting him. That word can actually be used interchangeably. The one who created us is free from evil and can't be tempted, so he doesn't tempt anyone. I like to always think of the difference of this as, as, a, as a bad teacher, in a sense, tempts you because they want the outcome to be that they fail you. So they're, in a sense, tempting you. So when there's a temptation, the goal is failure. When there's a test, a good teacher tests you because they want you to show your working knowledge of a certain subject, and they want you to pass. They want you to accelerate. So when you think of, think of God, God doesn't tempt anyone, but he does give us tests because he wants us to pass and be stronger on the other side. And so temptation doesn't come from him. So he doesn't tempt anyone. When a person is carried away with desire, lured by lust, and when desire becomes the focus and takes control, it gives birth to sin. When sin becomes fully grown, it produces death. And the idea is that sin creates destruction. It destroys parts of our lives. And all of us have experienced that to some level where we have been uh, out of line with God. We've, we've sinned been self-centered, and it's destroyed a part of our life. Sometimes it's been relationally. Sometimes it's been whatever. It, it, it destroys. So when God tests us to have us overcome and pass, he does not want us to, to fall and, and bring little pockets or large pockets of destruction into our lives. In James we read, so let God, so let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper Say a quiet yes to God, and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. A lot of us skate right around the edges. Purify your inner life. I like the fact it starts off on the inside out. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get up on your feet. So as we think about Joseph's situation, I just want to give us uh, four thoughts about understanding temptation. And we're going to move through these uh, pretty quickly. Uh, first one is that God's preferred will is absolute. It does not change. Sometimes we have to think about what God's preferred will is and realize that it's not a cultural thing. There are things in Scripture that are cultural. You need to look at that, and, and we don't have time to get into that. Where It was the culture, and so this was the application of this. But God absolutes do not change with culture. There's plenty of Scriptures and verses that talk about uh, His Word, His ideas, His, his, his um, guidance, commands, instructions, whatever you want to call them. They just don't go away. So when there's a new day and a new time, and you go, well, it's just, you know, this is a new day, be very, very careful. Uh, in Hebrews we read, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, yes, there are people that uh, have blind spots, and usually it's obvious to us, someone else's blind spot, and uh, they look at our lives, and they see a blind spot in our life that isn't so obvious. And sometimes we say, well, maybe God's letting up on that. Uh, if we were to take a look at uh, in Matthew where Jesus gets into this whole idea about marriage and all these kinds of things, and, and you see that when, G, when Moses, in a sense, gave permission or provided for, let's say, a, a marriage to easily, it seemed to dissolve. He gave, it was really a concession to our hard-heartedness, but it's not a part of God's original plan. 
And so sometimes with God's grace, when it comes to different areas of life, God is not an ogre up there trying to crush us every time we step out of line. And sometimes you and I step out of line in an area, and all of a sudden no hammer comes down, so we go, oh, this must not be a big deal to God. It's actually more of like a concession to the hardness of our heart. Could take a look at how the whole new king situation folds out for um, Israel. And we could see that uh, Saul becomes king and, and Samuel was the leader representative. And, and it really wasn't the time. And God, in a sense, says, uh, you know, you want a king like all the other nations. I'm going to give you Saul. It's not my preferred will. I'm going to let it happen. But it's not my ideal. And they kind of get along with it. And there's other passages that kind of get this idea that finally God will say, all right, have it your own way. I know there's been times in my own life with our kids, they want something, they want something, want something. And in this case, I don't think it's going to like totally destroy and blow up their life. And I say, okay, do it your own way. I've told you what I think. You do it your own way. Let the chips fall where they are. I don't say that with a ha-ha-ha. I say that, you know, I'm, I'm done. You know what I think. God does that often to us. I know in my journals, sometimes I write when I come across one of these ideas, I go, Lord, please don't give me my own way when it isn't your way. Help me not keep asking for things. Jesus even does it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, not your will, but my will. I don't want a yes on something. I don't want something to be allowed into my life. And in a sense, God looks the other way when God doesn't want it to be a part of my life. But he said, you know, okay, Dave, have it your own way. You look at how the Israelites were uh, getting into the promised land and they didn't, in a sense, cleanse the promised land the way they were supposed to. And finally, it says, and these people will be a thorn in your side forever. And so I want to stay away from that. When it comes to life, we don't want to build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. We don't want that mixed into the foundation of our life. We don't want those cracks that, in a sense, they're, they're going to be there. And once they're in the foundation, at least this is my understanding, I'm not a carpenter guy, uh, but my understanding is that when there's cracks in the foundation, to fix that after you got a house on top of it is a lot of work. It's not an easy thing. It can be done, but it's expensive, and, and it causes all kinds of problems. So we want to make sure that righteousness is in our foundation, right living with God, not on a foundation of sin. I'm going to skip over these two and get right into this. So also, and we've talked about this, temptation is normal even for a Christ follower. We need to understand that Jesus himself was tempted but without sin. And what is wonderful about that is when you and I pray, we're leaning on a God, the Son of God, who actually experienced life as a human being. He, he didn't um, just doesn't just know about it. He experienced it, and he didn't give in. So when I'm talking to the Lord and I'm saying, oh, Lord, I'm really struggling with this. this I, I mean, I'm tempted by this. I change my heart. I don't even want to have a hunger for this, but I, I kind of lean into this, and I know you know exactly what I'm talking about because you experienced every kind of temptation out there. Give me some strength. Give me some resolve to keep moving forward. So when you and I are tempted, we shouldn't beat ourselves up. That's a part of life. It's our response to temptation. Also, especially when it comes to this area of purity or anything, the rewards are eternal but not always immediate. It, it doesn't happen instantaneously. Look back at uh, Joseph's life. Um, the head jailer gave Joseph free reign 
uh, never even checked on him because God was with him. Whatever he did made sure it worked out for the best. And you're going to see as we tell this rest of this story that Joseph needed to be in this prison. This was the place he needed to be. No matter how unfair it was, no matter what, this is the place he needed to be in him honoring God and honoring Potiphar's, ba- um, Potiphar's boss, those relational those relationships actually put him in the right place. And until things unfold and you see it's the right place, you would never have dreamed that. And that's the same way with our lives. When you and I are doing the right thing, especially in this area of temptation and morality and all of that, it seems sometimes like the rewards are just not happening. It just means that I'm, not, I'm missing out and all of that, but the rewards are not always immediate. And Joseph will show that as his life unfolds. Moses is an example of that. Moses could have grown up in the palace, and there's a point where he takes a stand, and he's out. And it said this about him, but he did this because he had faith. It was better to suffer for the Messiah than to have the treasures of Egypt. He was waiting for the reward that God would give him. And so often, you and I may not see the results immediately, but we need to wait. Just another thought here. What do you do when your body wants what you know in your heart is wrong? That's a, that's a, that's a huge question with all of this. What do you do? I think it comes back to the things that we're talking about. It talks about being prepared. Uh, we see that uh, escape is possible through God's faithfulness. We looked at 1 Corinthians 10, 13 last week and the week before, I think, and uh, this whole idea that God provides a way to stand up under the temptation or a way out. That's, that's, that's available to all of us. It may not be easy. It may mean we need to crawl a little bit, scamper a little bit, really get down to get out, but God's faithfulness is there. We all experience times of testing which is normal for every human being, but God will be faithful to you. He will screen and filter the severity, the nature, and the timing of every test. Remember, he wants you to pass or trial you face so you can bear up, bear it, can bear it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out victorious. I'm going to move us right down to the bottom line here. This is the bottom line. Temptation is not a sin. Sin is surrendering to a temptation. So when you and I are in these places where the pressure's on, like Joseph, and I've got to think, and maybe I'm totally wrong, Joseph was under more pressure than probably most of us will ever face. And, uh, and he was alone. He's, he didn't have it. I mean, he's just alone. He's by himself. Uh, but the idea here is that temptation is not a sin. There are going to things that catch our eye, catch our heart. It's surrendering to it that is the sin. And God wants to give you and I a strength so we don't have to surrender to it and we don't have to live with the consequences of it. Would you please close in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the story of Joseph, how real it is. It's kind of raw in places, and it just, it just shows that you don't uh, hide what reality really is. 
And we thank you for the example of Joseph, that a 17-year-old kid grows into a 27-year-old kid, a young adult, and he's just solid with his walk with you. And Lord, he holds up under it. And you actually see him having a blessing later on for sticking with you, even though we don't know, he didn't know when it was going to come. So Lord, I just ask that you would help each one of us as we're, in a sense, living the dream that you would help us to be able to live the dream with the tests, the temptations that will come into our lives. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Now, again, in this new reality of social distancing, um, we're changing things up a little bit. Um, We're going to dismiss from the back towards the front. Uh, We're asking that just in respecting people's space and all that goes that, that you can go.